can open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's it. See, that's the good thing about teaching through the Bible. You know where we're going and you know where we've been. So you can keep me in check. Do your own homework and make sure that the Word of God is taught in a way that honors Him. We're in the midst of our, coming to the conclusion actually, of our time in 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 14. We'll be looking at the first five verses. We introduced this text last week. We read the whole chapter. We're not going to do that this morning. We'll just read the first five verses. So as you turn there in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I'd ask you to stand in honor of God's Word, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the text and hopefully work our way through uh, verse 5. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to bless it to our hearts. Give us minds to understand it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've been in our study here, and we've been going through, and we outlined this chapter last week for you. We said that verses 1 to 19 talks about the position of that. So for me, if I were to speak in German... This morning, um, it wouldn't be pretty because I don't know German. (laughs) But if God gave me the gift of languages or the gift of tongues, I could speak supernaturally the gift of speaking in German. And maybe there'd be someone here who didn't speak English and they needed to hear the gospel message and hear about the mighty things that God is doing. And that's why the gift was given in the New Testament. It was the gift of languages or the gift of tongues. It always meant a language. It never meant anything other than a language. It was always something someone could understand. And when that person would stand up in a group meeting and they would speak in their supernatural ability to speak in German or whatever it was, whatever language it was, God would also supply a supernatural gift of interpretation of languages. So that half of you spoke German. If we had a group here that was visiting from Germany and they didn't understand English, but God wanted them to hear the message, what would happen in the New Testament times was God would supernaturally give that speaker the ability to speak in a language that he did not know to the ears of the hearers. And then what would happen is someone would stand up with the gift of interpretation who may or may not have understood the language because it's a supernatural gift, and they would translate back into the the language of the rest of the group. 
So everybody then, in the end, received something, received the message of God's word. And that's why when we looked at last week in the book of Acts, when this began to happen, the crowds were amazed. They said, these are simple Galilean fishermen. How are they speaking these languages? Of all these people who gathered here, and we're all hearing this message in our own language, how is this happening? And it says that they were filled with wonder and they glorified God because of what they heard. And so that's what the gift is. And we saw the position, we'll see the position of the gift today in verses 1 to 19. We'll begin that outline in verses 1 to 5. But then also it continues in verses 20 to 25, the purpose of the gift of languages or the gift of tongues. What was the purpose? And then 26 to 40, the procedure. How was this to be carried out? And so you see the position of the gift of tongues is secondary to prophecy. It's not a gift that's meant to be exalted, as the modern-day charismatic movement has done. As a matter of fact, in our previous studies, we've established that Paul basically says in chapter 13 that tongues will what? They will cease. They will cease. And if you look at the history of the New Testament church, you look at the history of the Word of God, after the book of Acts, after this is the only place really it's mentioned, after that. And it's mentioned as a problem, not a blessing. Because the Corinthian church was not a spirit-filled church. A lot of people in that church were fleshly. They were seeking to exalt themselves. And so they thought, wow, remember the, uh, remember the apostles? When they spoke in tongues, all those people gathered around. And maybe if we do it, we'll fill our church up too. So they were doing it for wrong motives. But then we also talked about last week the influence of the pagan culture and how in the pagan culture, when they would worship their pagan gods, guess what they did? They, they would work themselves into kind of a trance, and they would begin to mouth words that they did not understand. They weren't words. They were gibberish. It was just phrases. And in their pagan culture, they thought, because they were worshiping this pagan god, they thought, wow, we're communicating with our god. And guess what? Nobody else can understand it. It's our little secret. But see, they weren't worshiping the true god. And so we're going to look at this today. It was given as a sign, the gift of of languages was, the gift of tongues. And God always wants things to be done decently and in order in his church. So when you see churches where people are running around and falling over backwards and all this chaos going on, I don't know what spirit that is, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Because that's not what God prescribes for his church. So today we want to begin to work our way through this text And you notice right there at the onset, verse 1, what does he say? The first two words, if you have the ESV, pursue what? Pursue love. See, he's commanding, he's he's telling the Corinthian believers, look, you got it all wrong. You're pursuing the wrong things. They wanted the showy gifts. They they thought that the, the way the gifts were given to them was by seeking them. That's not what the Bible says. We've covered that in previous messages. We understand that who gives out the spiritual gifts? The Holy Spirit. And it says he does so as he desires. It's not a cornucopia of gifts, and we walk up to the the basket and go, oh, I think I want this one. I think I'll take that one. It doesn't work that way. 
the Spirit of God gives to each one as he desires. That's why it's wrong as a believer to look at someone else and say, well, I wish I had that gift. What are you doing? You're questioning God because God has already gifted you. There's not a believer alive on the face of the earth who is born again who doesn't have at least one spiritual gift. Now, you may not understand what it is yet. You may not even be using it yet. But that's part of the process, coming to understand. That's why you should be involved in what? In ministry. See, God never, ever called us as Christians to come and sit in a chair in a church once a week, and that's it. That's not what church is about. If that's what you think church is, you got it all wrong. Church is about serving Christ, serving the body of Christ, building up the body of Christ. And so we see here, he says, pursue love. This is the, speaking of the position of the gift of tongues. It's secondary. He establishes this in the first 19 verses of chapter 14. He says, you know what? It's secondary. The gift of languages or the gift of tongues is secondary in relation to other gifts. Specifically, and he dials in on one, the gift of prophecy. And he gives us three reasons why this is. First of all, he says prophecy edifies the entire congregation. This is what we're going to talk about today. The gift of tongues is secondary because it cannot edify. Period. Even the legitimate gift of tongues can't edify. Because if I'm speaking in German and God's given me that gift and you don't speak German, are you going to be edified? Are you going to be built up? No. That's why God supplied an interpreter, the gift of interpretation. So that the premium is on the edification of the church. So what's the purpose when we gather together as a church? Is it to have you come in here and get some little warm, fuzzy feeling going on in your heart? No. The, the purpose that we gather together is always the purpose of edification. What is edification? It's the building up. It's the maturing of yourself. How does that happen? It happens through the teaching, through the preaching of God's word. It happens as the body of Christ gathers together in person and fellowships. See, that's what was so troubling with the pandemic. All the churches retreated to their houses, and we were watching a video, but guess what? I mean, that's fine. You got the teaching, but that's all you got. You didn't get any fellowship. That's, that's a big part of the church, being the church. That's why we believe churches are essential. Meeting together as, indiv- as, as individual congregations is essential. And so Paul says, all the way down at the end of of, or in the middle there of chapter 14, in verse 26, he says, let all things be done onto edifying or building up. He says in verse 12, at the end there, he says, strive to excel in building up the church. We want to build up the church. We want to build up individuals that make up the church. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have prayer times. That's why we have fellowship. That's why we have a meal after every morning service, pretty much, in the fellowship hall. And you're more than welcome to come. We usually have more than enough food. And it's a good time. So you sit around, you talk about the message, you talk about life, you get to know each other. You rub elbows. That's what fellowship is all about. 
So he wants us to build up the church. That's what the purpose is. It's not to entertain you. It's not to um, entertain your kids. Now, that's part of it, right? I mean, we have to minister to everybody, but that's not the sole purpose. And the main way we're built up is how? is through the understanding and the teaching of God's word. That's why we always want whoever's teaching behind this pulpit not to come up here and say, oh, well, I read this fancy book, and now I want to share some things from this book. No. They need to open up the book, the Bible, and expound the scriptures. So we need to just understand that it's to build up the entire congregation. He says at the end there of verse 4, if you look, it says, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Builds up himself. And he's not saying that in a positive way. We're never told to exalt ourselves. We're never told to build ourselves up. If I could build myself up, guess what? I don't need you, and I don't need God. So we need to build each other up. That's what we're, that's what we're called to do. And it says in verse 5, He wants us to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets it. So what? So that the church may be built up. So he wants us to clearly understand this. Over in verse 31, he says, For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged or be comforted. He, he, he encourages that. But when it comes to tongues, he says, no, 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 no. A little later on, he says, one or two, maybe three. If you're going to do this, that's all. Because it cannot edify. Um, Paul basically says, look, tongues cannot edify, especially this counterfeit pagan thing that was going on in the Corinthian church. This entertaining their pagan deities and trying to communicate to them with the secret language that God gave them, they thought, But prophecy edifies the whole congregation. And that's why he says, I want you all to to do this. So the pursuit of prophecy. He says, first of all, pursue love. And we saw basically why um, he's telling them, look, you're you're coveting these showy gifts. I'm going to show you a more excellent way, he says at the end of of, uh, uh, chapter 12 and 13 there. And he focuses on love. And he says, why? Because love is going to endure. God's love will always be with us. His love endures what? Forever, the song says. The scripture says. If that weren't true, then God would not be God. Because God's love is part of who God is. And if God's love can cease, then God can cease. And we know that's not the case. So he says, if you're going to seek anything, Corinthians... He's basically telling them, stop seeking these crazy things that you're seeking, even the good spiritual gifts. You shouldn't be seeking them. He's already gifted them to you. You don't get to pick and choose what you get. And so just use what you have for his glory and pursue love. That's why he says if you don't do it in love, it's all a waste. And even prophecy, if you prophesy in love, 
or if you don't prophesy in love, it's a waste. And so he wants us to understand that. That word pursue there means to chase after, to run after. Sometimes it's even translated persecute. So there's a, there's a purpose here. It's so energized that you literally persecute it. You, you want to track it down. You follow it with everything you have, the love of God. And so if you're going to pursue anything, pursue God's love. And then he says here, secondly, desire spirituals, or in the ESV it says spiritual gifts. Gifts isn't really there. And I think what he's doing is he's trying to point out to them Look, you're, you're seeking after all these spiritual gifts in the flesh. Stop it. You should be doing this spiritually. Desire spiritual. It's plural, spirituals. There's nothing wrong with spiritual gifts because that's, that's what it means. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't want to understand what our giftings are and use them for his glory. But when you say desire spiritual gifts, it gives the connotation, unfortunately, that somehow if you desire a gift, even though God hasn't given it to you, what happens? Well, he has to. No, that's not the case. That's not the case. We're all gifted in a myriad of ways according to God's spirit. So it says desire spirituals. Literally, it says continue desiring spiritually, spirituals. In other words, this isn't a one-time deal. This is something that he wants them to understand. They have to continue to do this. This word desire should be, is translated as a continuous imperative. And the word translated and there would be better translated but. So he's contrasting what they're really desiring with what they should be desiring. Stop going after all these showy gifts, Corinthians, because we know you're just trying to build up your flesh. Rather, Desire God's spirituals in your life. And what he wants us to understand is we're not called to stop asking God, how have you gifted me and how do you want to use me? Because he's gifted all of us in different ways. But you have to leave that up to the Spirit of God not your flesh. And then thirdly there, he says, especially, verse 1, that you may prophesy. This is interesting. When you come together for worship, instead of having chaos, Paul's saying, instead of having people stand up who are speaking in pagan languages that nobody understands, including themselves, to their own pagan gods... And some other people were running around and shouting and falling over. Don't do that. He says, when you come together, instead of having chaos, instead of having confusion, instead of having everybody stand up and start speaking in some gibberish that nobody understands, that doesn't build up anybody. That just, what's it do? It attracts attention to the person that's doing it. That's not what a spiritual gift is for. You should have... The clarity of prophecy is what he's saying. That word prophesy is a Greek word, prophetuo, and it means pro, which means before, and the word to speak. So it means to speak before people, the word of God. Every time someone stands behind this pulpit and preaches a sermon, 
if it's biblical and they're using the Bible, what are they doing? They're prophesying. They're speaking before a group of people the very word of God. That's what the word literally means. Now, some people say, well, I thought prophesy had to do with the future, like telling the future. No. The idea of predicting the future never came about really until the Middle Ages when the English word took on that meaning. It's not the intention in the original Greek at all. It simply means to speak the word of God before someone. So what's Paul saying? Instead of everybody shouting at the same time in some ecstatic gibberish that nobody understands, I'm calling you to stand up before everybody else and speak, prophesy the word of God. The speaking of those who speak the voice of God ought to take the place of all this chaos, all this confusion that was going on in the Corinthian church. That's what he wanted them to understand. Now, you say, well, was there times in the early church when the gift of prophecy was revelatory? Yes, because the canon hadn't been completed yet. There are times also when the gift involved reiterating some revelation that had been given previously. But in general, it's Basic meaning is to speak before others the word of God. It's not an emotional free-for-all. There's so many, when you go to church conferences sometimes, especially worship conferences, I mean, they literally have seminars on how to create a certain ambiance in the worship with lights and theater and all, so you can kind of manipulate the people to do what, You want them to do. That's not worship. It's more Hollywood than it is worship. So Paul says, more than than seeking tongues, you should seek that which is intelligible. What's that? Prophesying. Someone standing up and declaring the things of God from his word. And so the obvious reason for the inferiority of tongues is that nobody could understand what was being said, even if it was the legitimate gift and not the pagan false gift that kind of infiltrated this church. The gift of tongues was a signed gift, and it was never intended to edify anybody, including the person that's speaking in tongues. And yet, unfortunately, the modern-day charismatic movement says If they're honest about it, they say, well, the gift of tongues here in Corinthians and the gift of tongues in Acts is different. Here, Paul is talking about the second kind. We believe in Acts that it was a language. I mean, they can't argue with that because it tells you right there in the text the nations from which the people came and they heard it in their own language, their own tongue. But they say, well, when you come to Corinthians, then Paul's talking about the other gift of tongues. Well, what's that? Oh, that's the private gift. That's the the gift where we just build up ourselves. And that's not scripturally accurate. The only time the gift of tongues was ever to be used was when there was someone present who could understand what was being said in their own language. It's a sign gift. Tongues is useless to edify the church. Edification can only come when tongues were or languages were interpreted by someone so everybody could hear it. 
it kind of makes sense. Secondly, you see the perversion of tongues. He says there in verse 2, for the one who speaks in a tongue. Now, I I mentioned this last week, and I, I, I hope that you look at this because it's a very important matter. You notice sometimes in the chapter 14, there's a singular use. In your, even in your English Bibles, it's singular. It says, in a tongue, for the one who speaks in a tongue. And then other places, it'll be plural. Paul says, I, I speak in tongues more than anybody. A lot of people believe, or in the, if you have a King James Bible, an old King James Bible, what's it say? It says, here it says, for the one who speaks in an unknown tongue. And if you look carefully, the unknown is in italics, which means it wasn't in the original. They just put it in there to help us understand. And a lot of people believe what their translators were trying to do is distinguish the false gift from the real gift. See, nobody's saying there wasn't a real gift of languages. There was. And I believe that it was probably even used in the Corinthian church. But what happened is because they were so fleshly of a church, the world kind of worked its way in there, and they brought all their pagan stuff into the church as well, which included this ecstatic language that they spoke to their pagan god in their pagan rituals. And so he says here, for the one who speaks in a tongue, which means probably gibberish, this pagan ecstatic speech that they did. Why? Because there's only one kind of that. If someone's speaking in gibberish, there's not different dialects of gibberish, right? If I come up to you and go, blah, 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 or if I come up to you and go, yeah, 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 it doesn't matter. It's all gibberish. They're just onomatopoeic words, sounds that are coming out of my mouth. And that's what Paul is doing here. He says, for the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to literally a God. I think our translators got it wrong when it says to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So you have this principle that's violated. Paul's saying, you know what, with all these pagan ecstasies going on in your pagan worship and you've kind of combined it with the church, You're all wrapped up in speaking pagan mysteries and ecstatic speech to a God, a pagan God. And nobody can even understand what you're saying. As a matter of fact, you don't even understand what you're saying when you speak in tongues. And by the way, Paul's not referring to the mysteries of the God. He's referring to the mysteries of paganism. Because see, just like today, they had secret societies back then. And a lot of them would believe that, you know what, hey, if you're part of our religion, our secret little religion, and we, we worship this pagan god, well, guess what? <clears throat> if you climb up the ladder in this pagan system far enough, he'll give you your own language. And you can talk to him directly. And guess what? You don't even know what you're saying. But you're communicating with this pagan deity. And that's what happens today. And they they kind of shut everybody else out. Well, they're not part of the secret society. You know, we have a special code. We have a special language that we speak. That's the mysteries that he's talking about here. He's talking about the mysteries of pagan worship. 
So the bottom line here is all spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of ministering or speaking to men and women, but to humans. No spiritual gift was ever given for the purpose of ministering to God. God doesn't need to be ministered to. God is complete. (laughs) All gifts are given to build up the body of Christ by ministering to the members of the body. I mean, he's not incomplete. God is who he is. He doesn't change. You can't change God. So he doesn't need our ministering to him. So Paul is saying, you know what? You've fallen down on the basic use here of these spiritual gifts. Their use among men is to build up the body of Christ. The tongues that the Corinthian church was involved in, however, is not for men. It's for a God, their pagan God. And the reason I keep on saying a God is because the word God does not have an article in the Greek. An Arthur's construction, it's called, and is better translated. A lot of theologians believe a God rather than capital G God. So they're involved in all this crazy gibberish with some pagan God and speaking in pagan mysteries, and they're violating the principal purpose of spiritual gifts, which is they're meant, they're given by the Spirit to minister to the body of Christ. God certainly didn't need them to talk to him in some ecstatic gibberish. That leads us to the second point there under that, this private prayer language that a lot of charismatics will say they have. That's how they explain it. And you ask them, well, when you're speaking in tongues, do you understand what you're saying? No. Does anyone else understand? No. But God does. There's kind of a mystery about that, right? They teach that the essential use of this tongues, the gift that they call tongues, is a private prayer language to God. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is condemning. They got it 180 degrees wrong. Paul's saying you've missed the point of the true gift of tongues. The gift was designed to speak to men. Just like all the other gifts. Maybe in a different language, a known language, but they were always speaking to men. To humans. But you're involved in some kind of communication with your pagan God speaking in pagan mysteries. And nobody knows what you're saying, including yourselves. I mean, I don't think God wants to be talked to that way. I don't think he needs to be talked to like that. There's, there's no biblical evidence whatsoever for a private prayer language. Zero. It was never God's intention to be addressed in a language that is incomprehensible to the speaker. And the Bible supports this, if you're wondering where I get this. Um, If you're to examine, go through and take the time and examine every prayer that was ever prayed in the Bible. You study every passage. What every passage talks about prayer. You will not find anything anywhere at any time that even suggests in the slightest that there should be a prayer language that is unintelligible. You won't find it. It's not there. As a matter of fact, Jesus did just the opposite. 
in Matthew. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Just quickly, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. He's talking about prayer. This is right before the Lord's Prayer, we call it. Our Father who art in heaven, right? Well, right before that, he's giving them some instruction on prayer. And he comes down to verse 7. We're going to take time to go through the whole text, but we'll look at verse 7. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up, look at this, empty phrases as the Gentiles or the pagans do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Verse 8, very clear, Jesus says this, do not be like them. Don't do this. It's wrong. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. That word, empty phrases there, it's, it's a Greek word. And if you look it up, it's batalogeo. Batalogeo. Logeo means to speak. Bata is not even a word. It's like a little baby going, go, 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 go. Bata, 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 bata. It's a figure of speech. We call it in the English language what? Onomatopoeia. Remember that? You see a car go by or a motorcycle. Vroom. That's what that is. That's what that means. A bee buzzes by. Bzzz. It's not really a word. It's just a sound. And what Jesus is saying is don't do that. You don't need to do that to God. You don't need to go to God and just bata, 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 bata. It makes no sense. He says when you pray, don't do that. The Father isn't interested in that kind of communication. As a matter of fact, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15, look at what he says. Paul says this very clearly. He says, what am I to do? Verse 15. He says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will what? Pray with, what's it say? My mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'm also going to sing with my mind. When Jesus was in the garden praying to the Father, he didn't talk in some heavenly language. It's recorded for us what he said. If Jesus didn't have to do it, why should we? Whenever you see deity communing with deity... The language is very clear in Scripture. It's understood. When Jesus stood by the the grave of Lazarus, what did he do? He prayed before he raised him up from the dead. And if you look in the Gospel of John, guess what? He wrote it all down. It's right there in your English Bibles. You can read it. John didn't say, yeah, Jesus prayed in some language. Nobody understood what he said, so I don't know what to write. (laughs) Bata, 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 bata. No. He wrote down exactly what Jesus said. In John 17, Jesus had a very intimate prayer between Jesus and the Father. And it's all there for us to see in all its beauty. The point is, there's no biblical evidence whatsoever for a private prayer language, period. Now, that may seem harsh. That may seem judgmental. I'm just here telling you what 
is scripturally correct. You can make up your own mind. But we are to pray in an intelligible, understandable way. This isn't what you see going on in the modern-day charismatic movement. And by the way, I'm not here just to bash charismatics. I'm not here to bash those who speak in tongues. I'm not here to bash, you know, all these things. I think they got it wrong. They definitely have it wrong, according to the Word of God. But a lot of them are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be patient with them. We need to pray for them, that God would give them understanding. They're holding on to something that they have experienced instead of holding on to the truth. I mean, if I told you, yeah, my flight back from Pennsylvania yesterday, I was coming back and I looked out the airplane and on the wing, man, I saw Jesus. And this is what Jesus told me. This is a new, a fresh revelation. And I went on and went on. You would probably scratch your head and say, wait a minute. What you're saying doesn't even line up with Scripture. Who cares whether you had an experience? We can all have a lot of different experiences. Just go into the Christian bookstores, look online. I mean, people are dying, going to heaven, coming back and saying this is what it was, and yet you read the Bible. That's not what heaven's like. And you've got to ask yourself, well, who's wrong? Who are we going to believe? So these carnal Corinthians, unfortunately, like the current charismatic movement, are desiring these showy, attention-getting, ego-building, emotional gift of languages. And they used it as a badge of spirituality. Look at me. Look at what I can do. I've reached such a spiritual plateau in my spiritual life that God gave me my own special language. And nobody else, including me, understands it, but God does. See, that's the one thing that unfortunately happens with a lot of the modern-day charismatic movements is you have the haves and the have-nots within the body of Christ. Because they teach you can be saved, but then after your salvation, what do you have to do? You have to beg, you have to plead that God would baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And they're just confused in their theology because the Bible says that you're baptized by the Holy Spirit when you come to Christ. It's not something you seek. It's not an experience at all. That's how you are placed into the body of Christ, Scripture says. So Paul says, you missed the whole point, you Corinthian church. You missed the whole point of the true gift of tongues. You're, you're supposed to be speaking this to men with the true gift. But in your minds, you're speaking to some pagan god, mysteries that nobody else can understand. Well, thirdly, you see here the, the products, the pursuit of prophecy, the perversion of tongues, but then you see the products of prophecy. He kind of turns it positive there in verse 3. He says, on the other hand, let's get off the negative here. On the other hand, the one who prophesies or speaks before people the word of God speaks to people for their upbuilding. They're not talking to some god. They're talking to people for their upbuilding, for the encouragement, for the consolation. Paul says when you come together, don't, don't seek to speak in some unknown gibberish pagan language that nobody understands, including you. Rather, seek to prophesy. Seek to communicate the word of God. Why? Because that's what people are built up by. That's what people are encouraged by. 
That's what can offer comfort and consolation to people. When they're in the midst of their agonies and their their hurts. That's why it's so important when we come together, we're reading Scripture. We're studying Scripture. I'm not up here, Mary had a little lamb. Its fleece was white as snow. Well, the fleece was white as snow. That represents our cleansing of, of Jesus' blood. And now, I mean, you know, you could, you could talk about anything you want. And unfortunately, that's what's going on in a lot of churches today. They're setting the Bible aside, and they're teaching on felt needs and everything else that people want to hear. They're, they're seeking to tickle the ears of people. Why? So they can fill up their churches. I get it. But that's not what we're called to do. Jesus says this is his church. And guess what? He will build his church. I don't want to compete with Christ. That means we have 20 people, we have 20 people. We have 10 people, we have 10 people, we have 100 people. I don't, it doesn't matter. That's not what we're looking at. The purpose of prophecy is to build up, to encourage, to exhort. And spiritual gifts are meant to accomplish something spiritually and practically worthwhile. They're always meant for the benefit of others. You're not giving a spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit to benefit yourself. That's not what they're for. And yet that's exactly what they claim this, the modern day use of, of tongues is. Well, it just builds you up in your spirit. We are not called to do that. You also see here the, the prostitution of tongues in verse 4. He says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So which is better, to build up yourself or to build up the church? I mean, that's the point of the whole chapter, really. That's what Paul's trying to communicate, is the edification of the church, not edifying yourself. We were not given spiritual gifts even for ourselves. It's always to the benefit of others. That's why it's important to be involved in ministry. Because if you're not involved in ministry, if you're not involved in serving, guess what? You're not using your spiritual gift. That's why it's so important to come out and attend church. That's why Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because it's not good. It's not good. So the point is that the gift of tongues does not does not edify the church. If the gift of tongues back then was translated, it could possibly edify the church. But their pagan gift of tongues, nobody could translate because it wasn't a language. They didn't even know what they were saying. And that's what he, he gets at here in, in verse 5. He says, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. In other words, if someone's going to speak in the legitimate gift of languages, notice it's plural in verse 5, like I said, but even more to prophesy, the one who prophesies is greater. So hands down, the gift of tongues cannot edify anybody unless it's interpreted is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. That's a legitimate use of the gift. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. I mean, this was used as a sign 
when other Christians were present. And God would always supply the gift of interpretation when this was used. You didn't have the right just to stand up and start mouthing off and popping off and nobody translates and then you sit down. That doesn't do anybody any good. But that's exactly what was going on. So the Corinthians were using this gift in a chaotic way, in a way that made no sense at all. And they had determined that, you know what, if we just keep this up, we're speaking to our gods and all this stuff, and eventually maybe the church will be edified somehow. Well, guess what? It wasn't, it didn't work, it doesn't work, it won't ever work, because that's not the gift and its primary purpose. The issue of tongues edifying oneself, and that's what they would say. Well, the gift of tongues is for personal edification, This is kind of the second perversion of the whole thing. The first being that they had perverted the fact that the spiritual gifts are meant for men. They thought, well, no, I'm going to speak to God. I'm not going to speak to men. That's wrong. But then here, they basically perverted the fact that spiritual gifts are meant for others and not yourself. Donald Gee is a well-known He was a well-known theologian, charismatic, and he said this, The revealed purposes of the gift of tongues are chiefly devotional, and we do well to emphasize the fact. He's speaking of Christians. Larry Christensen said this, One speaks in tongues, for the most part, in his private devotions. This is by far its most important use and value. I'm sorry, he's wrong. When you look in Scripture, that's not the purpose of the gift of languages. It's the very opposite of what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians. He's saying your gift is not to speak to men, but it's not for you. Your gift, if you have a spiritual gift, which all Christians do, is for others in the body of Christ. It's not meant for you. If you seek to edify God, if you seek to edify yourself, then guess what? You're out of the bounds of Scripture. It's that simple. He says here, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. He could be kind of being sarcastic here, as Paul was known to do. Um, Back in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians 10 to 11, when we looked at this, he says, it's not wrong to eat meat offered to idols, but because there are some weak Christians who do think it's wrong, don't do it. You're going to cause them to stumble. And in verses 10 and 11, he says, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, in other words, you're a mature Christian, you understand that, hey, you know, an idol, if it's, somebody sacrifices meat to an idol, it doesn't matter. There's only one true God. Who cares? Go ahead and eat the meat. If you're mature and you can do that, he says, eating in an idol's temple or eating the idol's meat, it says, will he not be encouraged? That word encouraged just so you know, is the same word for edify. Will he not be built up? If his conscience is weak to, to eat food offered to idols, and then he goes on, he says, this sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So in other words, it's possible to edify someone to their harm, is my point. 
It's not always good. Edification would be used in this case. It would cause the weaker brother to sin. So edification can be used for good or bad. And in chapter 14, the point is, when you use your gift to build up the church, that's good. But Paul says, if you're using your gift just to build yourself up, that's bad. Don't do that. In 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24, Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things, what? Build up. Build up who? He continues in verse 24. Let no one seek his own good or his own edification, but the good edification of his neighbor. See, that's what we should be practicing within the church. Paul is saying, basically, all things might be okay for you, but that doesn't mean you do all things because it, you have to consider your brother or sister in Christ. Maybe they're not at the maturity level you are. And maybe if they saw you doing whatever you think you're mature enough to do, that would cause them to stumble. So we have to be careful. And that's the point of all spiritual gifts. They're not for God, and they're not for you. They're for who? They're for the church. He's gifted them to those within the church to serve one another. So Paul says when you come together, instead of everybody speaking his, to his own building up or edification, he says seek to love one another. And you say, well, why does he say that? Why? We saw that in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Everything that was going on in the, first, in the Corinthian church was not coming from love. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so Paul is saying, hey, don't be seeking your own thing. That's not loving. So he says tongues can't edify the church. Last point here, the place of tongues, verse 5, clearly shows us. Beginning of, of verse 5, he says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues. Notice it's plural, which I think he's talking about the literal gift of languages. He doesn't say, I want you all to speak in a tongue. I want you all to speak in gibberish. No, he says, I want you all to speak in languages but even more to prophesy. So he still dials down on the importance of prophesying, the idea of speaking the word of God before other people, more than speaking in a a language. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in languages or tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. The Charismatics interpret this verse as a command by Paul to speak in unknown languages. That's not what he's saying. And he's kind of using tongue-in-cheek here in a way. If you go back to chapter 12, verse 30, remember Paul said, have all the gifts of healings? In other words, does everybody have the gift of healings? Do all speak with tongues or languages? Do all interpret? Well, in the Greek construction, the answer is clearly no. He's answering a rhetorical question. He's asking a rhetorical question. The answer is no. 
tells us in chapter 12, verse 11, but all these gifts are worked by the one, the very same Spirit, dividing to every man as he wills. So like I said, we don't get to pick and choose. And he talks here about the excellency of prophecy. He says, but even more to prophesy, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in languages. That's the, that's the legitimate gift, by the way. Someone, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So Paul says, I don't know. When the church comes together, it is to come together around the word of God. That is so important. It's so basic. You would think that's so basic. But I encourage you, when you come to church, bring your Bible. Bring your, even if it's on your phone, that's fine, whatever. But make sure you have a copy of the Word of God in your hand. And then secondly, we want to be careful to prevent and guard against any kind of pagan religious ceremonies entering into the church. You say, well, that wouldn't happen today. It happens all the time. I came out of the Roman Catholic Church. And when I came out of the Roman Catholic Church, the one thing we taught that happened at communion was the priest would take the... Can you turn this mic down a little bit? The priest would take the host and the, the wine... And he would do his hocus pocus. And the priest would reach up like this. You probably, if you've ever been in a Catholic church, he'd reach up into heaven and he would pull Christ down on the altar. That's why they have an altar in their church. We don't have an altar. Why don't we have an altar here? Because we don't do any sacrifice. Last time I checked, Jesus hung on the cross. He says, what? It is finished. It's done. There's no need for a priest. He is our high priest. So the priest takes the bread and he breaks it and, and they believe that it literally becomes the body of Christ. It's called transubstantiation. And they believe the wine literally becomes the blood of Christ. If that's not pagan, I don't know what is. You're taking the sacrifice that Christ made and you're mocking it. You're saying it's not enough. So we have to be on guard. And we have to realize that, you know what? God has clearly spoken in his word. And if, we're, if we just do our due diligence and understand what this book says and then apply it to how we do church, we'll be okay. Amen? We just got to stay within the bounds of God's word. Well, let's close in a word of prayer and we'll close with a song. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, that you are very clear in, in your teaching um, and you're allowing us to be taught your word. Father, you, you don't fill us our minds with a bunch of riddles, but, Lord, you, you clearly, on the pages of Scripture, direct us in a way that our worship should be orderly and pleasing to you. And we don't need to speak in some gibberish to communicate with you. I mean, that may be an incredible experience. That's what they're having, apparently. I'm not doubting that, but it's wrong. And so, Father, I pray that as we understand these things, we'll be able to absorb those things. And, Lord, if there's anyone here who's 
has a background, is a charismatic or speaks in tongues. Lord, it's not, it's not my desire to offend. It's not my desire to mock anybody. But it is my desire to make clear what your word teaches. Because that alone can speak for itself. If there's anyone here this morning who's yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, maybe they feel the weight of their sin, the burden of their sin, and they have yet to transfer that to Christ, to give that over, confess their sin, and trust in Christ, and Christ alone and his sacrifice on Calvary. Lord, we, we can't fix this ourselves. I mean, we're in a world of hurt. As a world, as individuals, and what we try to do is we try to patch it up with religion or we patch it up with good deeds or patch it up with this or that. And you say, no, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And so, Father, you were very clear in the presentation of the gospel of Christ, and I pray that we would be clear here today and as we live our lives, that they would be clear testimonies of your grace in our lives. If there's someone here who's yet to cry out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Simple prayer, but it says it all because you're recognizing your need for a Savior. And when you look to Christ as your one and only Savior, he will save you. He will transform your life. He'll give you new desires. He'll take away the old. The Bible says, old passes away. Behold, all things become new. And that burden of sin that you're bearing even now will be transferred to him. It will be paid in full. Father, we ask that you would do your work. As believers, as we leave these four walls, that we would go out knowing that you've called us not to be spectators in this life, but to be servants, to be ministers of your gospel. That we would pray and share and, and share the gospel with those around us at work, in our home, our work, our family, school, whatever. Lord, that we would see you do a work through us. Because we, we desire to be used by, your, by you as your church for your glory here in this place. And Lord, we know that the peninsula needs your work, needs your spirit in the hearts of individuals. So we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Pray bless our time across the way afterwards. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Let's stand and we'll close with